welcome to What Is It About the Weather, a podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek. This week, why do we ignore weather warnings? Or do we? Well, we all know we do. I've talked about warnings before a little bit, but I'm going to take it from a different twist. Before we get there, I don't know, found something interesting, follow up a little bit from last week. Now, as I've mentioned, sometimes when I do research for different episodes, some of it is very literature focused. And when I say literature, I mean like research articles and that sort of thing. Others are more googly, if you will. You know, it's just, it's kind of a surface level topic. The one last week was a little combination of both, but sometimes when I do my searching, depends on how deep of a dive I do, recent articles don't always show up because a lot of times I'm still using Google or a different search engine and more recent journal articles maybe haven't bubbled to the top of that search platform, whatever it might be. In any case, there is a journal that I go to on a, on a regular basis with the podcast because it has some relevant articles. And the name of that journal, it is from the American Meteorological Society. It's called Weather, Climate, and Society. And I've, I've mentioned articles from there before. But I was going through it because I hadn't in a while. But I did this after the episode. And I was looking through the table of contents and I came across falling. It came out just this year just in the last couple of months. The benefits and challenges of implementing impact-based severe weather warning systems, perspectives of weather, flood, and emergency management personnel. This was done by Sally Potter, Sarah Harrison, and Peter Kraft. Okay, and it was, like I said, published in published online in, in January. This journal's kind of quarterly, and it's probably one of the reasons that I hadn't gone through it. I tend to go through this thing eh, probably after the end of March. But sometimes the the ones that are available online get put up there early, even though the official journal, like the truly the paper-bound journal, if you will, is only once a quarter. Now, what I found interesting, and see if any of this sounds familiar to what we discussed last week. So this is in the from the abstract. Abstract's only about three paragraphs. So this is the second paragraph, and I am going to read it, so be patient with me. Let me pull this up here. We found that the benefits of implementing IBFW systems, so that standard for impact-based forecasting and warning, included a perceived increase in the understanding of the potential impacts by the public, added awareness of antecedent conditions by forecasters, a possible reduction in false alarms, and increased interagency communication. Challenges identified by the participants included whether the system should be designed for individuals or society. And that's whether, not like weather, but with a WH. A lack of impact data. Verifications of warnings based on impacts. A conflict with roles and responsibilities. The potential for conflicting messages. And the increased burden of agencies providing information to forecasters with a perception of little benefit in return. So when you think about all those things, now we didn't touch on all that, but a lot of that is the things that we highlighted, right? Both the challenges and the benefits. But it does highlight in some respects a little bit more of the challenges that maybe give you an idea of why it's hard to do and why maybe it's, you know, it's not a simple thing, but at the same time it gives you an idea that it is beneficial and it is probably something we're going to drive more towards, I think. In any case, came across that, thought you might find it interesting. Also, don't forget National Weather Podcast Month. Still March. 
Still look out there. Maybe I'll do another tweet this week. I saw that they retweeted my tweet about a, an episode last week, so I'll, I'll, I'll do the favor again. All right, let's talk about the main story. And, and, and I'm going to hold off. I, I kind of held off intentionally about weather from the past week because it's relevant to the topic about weather warnings. Now, back in 2017, I did a couple episodes back-to-back about do we get too many warnings and do meteorologists cry wolf and, you know, the types of warnings we get and are they useful and that sort of thing. And this has been a topic. Every, I don't know, AMS meeting at a minimum that I go to and other ones as well, this sits out there about weather warnings, how to make them more effective, how to make sure people are responding. And I've talked about this, not necessarily at an episode level, but individually making sure that, you know, you have a method for getting useful warnings and, you know, making sure you have people you trust. So we've talked about it within that context. So when it really does matter that you get the warnings you need and they're useful to you in a way that you can act. And there's been a lot of weather in the last week that drove a lot of different warnings. There's a big snowstorm. I mentioned that even with last week's episode out in, in the western part of the U.S. Big dust storm in China and Asia. Huge. Tornadoes just in the past few days down in southern U.S. All right? And it's severe weather season. These transition seasons are where we tend to see a lot of severe weather that kind of sparks warnings, if you will. It's different. So in the core of the winter, you might see, you know, snowstorm warnings, but a lot of times it's more focused on cold or in the summer it's heat. But in the transition seasons, we tend to think of these weather kind of events. It could be tropical cyclones. It can be, you know, thunderstorms and lightning. It could be tornadoes. But things that we think about more often with the sudden warnings, if you will, maybe not, you know, we've got bitter cold coming, or we've got a heat wave that's going to last a week, drives a different type of response. But all of them are relevant. All of them are warnings about hazards to you as an individual. Yet so often we hear stories about deaths and people saying, you know, they were caught off guard or it came out of nowhere. Well, it's usually not the case in this day and age. But why is it? Why, why would that be? And so I thought I'd take a step back and look at it's not just about weather, right? You know, so often with these things, and, and there's this weather component, but I like to bridge that gap between, is this something we do uniquely with weather? And the reality is, no. We ignore warnings all the time. We do it in every aspect of our life. So why do we do that? Well, let's start with the basic things. It, acknowledging a warning and, and making some sort of response to it means changing what our plans are. Now, we don't always have plans, but our plans could be as simple as chilling on the sofa and not doing anything. That's maybe not a plan, but it's, it's a current state, if you will. So at a minimum, we're doing something that we don't want to alter, all right? And that could be something with a, a, with a firm plan, or it can just be something that, you know, we're going about doing, right? And we don't like to change that. We like to be in control of that. So whenever there's a suggestion, if you will, that we alter those plans, we're always going to do a cost-benefit analysis of some type in our head. Now, it may be trivial, like, I want that beer from the fridge. I could ask somebody else to get it for me. I could get up and get it myself. I could, whatever it might be. 
But if I really want the beer, at some point I'm going to get up. If I think, eh, I'll get it the next time I'm up. I'm going. I'm getting something else, or I'm getting up to go to the bathroom, or whatever it is. I'll get it then. Right? It, it's it's all about this kind of risk reward. But with hazards, it's you know we're, we're weighing a cost benefit of what's the hazard and what's the risk, and the things that go along with that. Okay. So one of the first things we do with this is we're, we're trying to, I came across a, an article, both that was whether funny thing when Googling this stuff, it's funny how lawyer sites come up and they talk about why we, you know, maybe don't respond and why there are signs to begin with and then, you know, call them to start your case sort of thing. But one of those lawyer sites referenced an article that I thought was pretty good and I'm going to reference it. It'll be in the show notes that talks about some of these things and it puts it in a, in a very straightforward setup. And what I liked about it is there was some non-weather perspective and that's specifically why I chose it because there are plenty of articles that talk about why we ignore weather warnings and we'll, we'll come back to that. But the underlying response is the same. So the first thing we do, you know, like I said, is we're doing some sort of cost benefit analysis, but it's you know, what's the cost of compliance? How, what is it going to mean to us to actually do what the warning is suggesting, right? So we're likely foregoing, like I said, the goal, the, whatever our plan was originally. And then there's what's the effort, you know, we're saying, what does it take to do the alternative that's being suggested? You know, road closed. What's going to be the effort to go around a different way? Well, you may not have a choice in that case, right? And this includes the mental exercise of figuring out what it's going to take, right? So if it's as simple as open up Google Maps and it's just a short little detour, we're going to be like, eh, whatever. If it's, you know, 100 miles backwards, we're either going to wait until the issue's resolved, maybe it's a flooded road, or we're going to risk just driving through, right? People do this all the time. But we're going to go through that whole idea of what does it take to respond? What am I going to lose by responding? Is it just time? Is it money? Is it effort? What is it sort of thing? So in our, in our mind, we've gone through this process, and then we'll go through the steps of whatever we've decided, if we decide to do an alternative. But what's going into that decision-making process? What are we doing? Well, first, we're, we're going to make a evaluation of, is it a real danger to us, Right? Is it a cry wolf situation? Is this something where, oh, I hear about this all the time. You know, don't dive in swimming pools is an example on the website. Signs all the time, don't dive, don't dive. And I've dived in pools lots of times, no problems. But people do get hurt. And I've hit my head on the bottom of a pool before. So I know it does happen, right? I ended up diving a little too deeply in a shallower end or deviated actually from trying not to dive on top of somebody that came up out of the water. Or people decide to change their dive, right? So we, we're doing all these things, right? And so if it's never happened to us, we think, oh, that's just crying wolf. If there's eight warning signs on the same package, right? Or if the the print is too small, it, it just, at some period we go, oh, whatever, you know? What does the warning even look like? Can shape our mental state, right? Does Is there an electrical symbol? Electricity is one that gets us, right? And, and that has to do with most of us at some point have gotten shocked, 
in some way. And we don't like it. So if you pick a, a big bolt on something and say it's electrified, people actually are more likely to comply with that kind of sign because they have that experience. Then we go through this decision-making process. And there's so many things that come into play for us as individuals as well, right? Like how risk-averse are you as a person? What's the cost of partial compliance? Can we get away with kind of doing what they're suggesting and not altering our plans too much? The social factors, and people forget about this all the time, right? What are other people doing? You're with a group of people. And seven out of the eight say, oh, let's go, even though you're going, ah. And at some point, you're probably going to go along with peer pressure, and it may work out, right? But at the same time, all those things for that person may lead to increased anxiety. So they may have a miserable time even though they decide to go. And nothing may happen, right? Maybe it's a, a sign about, you know, dangerous hiking conditions. And you go anyways. And it works out, but you can see why it might not have worked out. And the whole time you're looking for that danger, if you're that risk averse person or somebody else who's just plodding along. Then there's this other thing about who's to gain. And you heard me kind of mention this even with the lawyer side. Warning signs, let's be clear, warning signs very often are there to protect the liability because they've gotten sued at some point or something along those lines. There was something interesting in a couple of things that I read that talked about just basic things like stop signs, yield signs, traffic lights in general, don't actually increase safety. I thought that was interesting. Wrecks still happen. If it's a dangerous intersection, it's still going to be dangerous. But you then can't sue people because they said, I told you so, there's a stop sign there, whatever it might be. But I live in an area where all the time, people, I mean, I, I, last couple of weeks, I watched people just plow through stop signs, just like it wasn't even there. Yet other people kind of nudge up to intersections where they don't have the stop sign, and it creates confusion, right? It still causes the same slowdowns for everybody if people aren't a, adhering to those same things. So all this stuff comes into play. And if your experience is, ah, it's just easier to plow through stop signs, well, you're probably going to keep doing it until you wreck your car or until it costs you something, whether it's your life or money, right? You're going to do those sort of things. And that goes into that bucket of life experience that then drives your future behavior. So like I said, all these things come into play with any sort of hazard, any sort of risk. Because all these are about future. It's a future risk. There's a warning sign. There's a, a warning alert on your phone, on the television, social media, whatever it is. All those things are talking to you about a future state. And then with that future state, you've got to make a decision. Now, the amount of time you have to make that decision comes into play. And this is where we get into weather. All right? One of the arguments always is that you can either be not receiving a warning in time, right, which isn't as often the case anymore, or you receive it too far in advance. And this still is a challenge in the world of weather. I don't know how many, you know, as I said earlier on, people say it came out of nowhere, or I, you know, 
There was no warning. Well, most often there is, but if you become numb to the idea of what people have been telling you for days, it was like this severe weather in the South. Now, the events, there were tornadoes. Now, it, the outbreak didn't seem to be as bad as forecasted it could be, but where's the balance, right? For days, there was this notification of risk and to be aware. But if every time someone's turning on the news or going to social media, they're being bombarded with this stuff, then by two days later, they're like, yeah, yeah, what, what, whatever, you know, I'll, I'll deal with it if it comes about. And then they, or they forget about it and they lose the resolution time-wise of when was this really supposed to happen? When am I at risk? And, and then they build all that stuff into their own life experiences. Most people that live in tornado areas kind of know that when there's a tornado warning in an area, that often that, or, or a watch, let's say, that that's such a big area, it may have nothing to do with them, that a tornado is a small event. It's not like a hurricane that can be a big spatial event, or even a hurricane where it takes more time because evacuation can be millions of people versus a tornado impacts a smaller geographical space and you don't have the time it's either going to happen or it's not so you kind of need to be prepared but driving away for two days may not make sense given the type of risk it is so are we really ignoring the warnings or are we just putting them in the context of what we understand and the way we want to go about it and the evidence seems to suggest that we do make those same mental decisions as we do with all risk. You know, what's the real risk? When's it going to happen? What are the costs of being prepared? You know, is being prepared just having alerts available to me? Right? And making sure that I'm just kind of tuned in in case I need to be? Well, that may not be much. But if in the moment you're doing something that is important to you, or you're in a scenario where it's hard to deviate from what you've got going on, you may not make the right decision in that moment. Okay? Or you may not have truly the information to make the right decision. Maybe you just moved an area and you don't have years of living in that vicinity and understand what a tornado warning means. Well, maybe you need to be a little more aware. So all this is great. The reality is that, let's say for a moment, that people truly don't ignore warnings. They just put them in the context of their life experience. That's part of the challenge, is you, you want warnings to be such that people do rely on their useful experience, but they don't put too much of their bias in that suggests particularly that this isn't going to be a problem for me. I've driven down this flooded road many times. Now, let's be clear. If you've been driving this, there are a lot of places all over the world that have street flooding, right? And you may have driven the same vehicle for the last 20 years. And you may know precisely just by looking at a certain spot on a tree, as an example, that any water below a certain point or some certain point on the side is safe for you to drive across. You may know that, right? In your car that has a, a clearance level of three feet because you've got a monster truck. Well, that's probably an exaggeration, but let's say you, you do. You know that with your vehicle that is built for it, that you can safely get through a thing as 
because at that level, the, the waters don't run too fast and everything else. And you've done it many times and you go across. Yet the person behind you is in a lower lying car. Maybe it's a little lighter and they get swept away. Because what they did is they made their decision based on what they saw were the actions of others. So all this comes into play, right? All this comes into play with our decision process. So what's the best thing to do? How do we handle that? How do we get people to properly respond? Well, I've talked about that a little bit before. But I think fundamentally, if it, when I think about these things as an individual, what I try to do is always put things in context. If I don't understand the risk, I have to take the time to understand it a little better. If I get advance warning by a couple of days, I understand when the risk might happen and what I might need in that moment to make a decision. And one of those things may be don't put myself in that time if I can avoid it in a situation that's hard to change or that I won't want to change. It's not about not going about your business. It's about just knowing that there might be a need to be flexible. But not everybody does that. And not everybody's ever going to do that. And some people are always going to end up in the bad situation because their life experiences have told them it's not a risk. And this comes into play during the tornado season with beliefs people have that tornadoes can't cross rivers or go over hills and all those things. Not, it's just not true because it's kind of a folktale sort of solution to that because their experiences or those that have taught them about this, right, family members, friends, have either told them that or their experiences have told them that, right? So they don't worry about it and don't put it in the proper context. So one, understand when the risk is going to be. Two, understand what the real risk is, right? Is it your life? Is it just an inconvenience? How hard is it to change? And the harder it is to adjust or the response time being more limited, the more you probably just need to at least have thought through what that process is going to be like and plan for it. It doesn't have to be a big ordeal. Know what the risk is, understand it, and plan accordingly. I know it's easy to say. And even doing that, even listening to this podcast took time. And if it wasn't on your to-do list, may have been more effort than you wanted to expend. I don't know. But all I can tell you is, don't ignore the warnings. Don't ignore them. Understand them. Spend a little bit of mental time with them and plan accordingly. It really isn't that hard. All right, let me know your thoughts on warnings as I get warnings of a fire engine coming down the street behind me, and you probably are hearing it now too. I love how sirens have changed over time and how loud they've gotten to where you cannot ignore them. Is that going to stop that fire truck from you running into them? I hope, I hope, because it's not a warning to me that my place is on fire. They did the fire alarm test in my building yesterday, so I know it's not me. But the podcast and the podcast audience is going to know that somewhere in my immediate vicinity, there's somebody that's dealing with a fire. Let me know your thoughts on warnings. I'd be curious to know, do you plan when you hear something's coming in a couple of days? How do you, one, not get overwhelmed by too much content and warning? And how do you properly plan? Do you have any routine that you go about for doing that? Let me know. What is about the weather at gmail.com? Of course, you can reach me on Twitter. Same thing. What is about the weather? Or Mark underscore Jelanek. Either or. If you'd like to support the podcast, patreon.com slash weather. All right. I'm going to leave you with something kind of interesting. It has to do with life. Severe season. A lot of talk about lightning. Not a new thing. We've done things on lightning before. But did you know lightning may have actually sparked life on the earth? 
One of the building blocks for life is phosphorus. Yet phosphorus can be tricky because it's not easy to come by in just kind of a state that's easily absorbed by life, if you will. Yet lightning can help with that. I'll put a link in the show notes. If the thought of it is interesting to you, take a read. It's an interesting article. And it's just another subtle reminder that we all are familiar with by now if we listen to this podcast that there's much more weather than the weather itself. <laughs>